1: Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. BGW void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives. And now, get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
0: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
1: Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino.
3: Hey everybody, welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenues Mind Podcast. I'm Steve Seiber, and I'm joined this week by Ken Levin and Thomas Henderson. How are you guys doing this week?
2: I'm doing good. How are you?
4: Yep,
3: same. Doing good. It's a fun, it was a nice nice weekend. Uh, A lot to get to this week, so we're just going to jump right into things. And the... Syracuse Mets, they played the Worcester Red Sox this week. They went 2 and 4 against them and dropped to 52 and 71 on the year. Now, the Charlotte Knights, who are the worst team in the International League, they are 6 and 4 in their last 10. Syracuse is 3 and 7 and they play the pretty tough Scranton/Wilkes-Barre Railriders this upcoming week. So in theory, Syracuse could drop to dead last by the time that we record our show next week. Not optimal. Win, lose, a draw. Though they will be doing it without Francisco Alvarez, who sat out a few games early in the week, and it's now being reported that he's dealing with an ankle injury that may or may not need surgery. Um, the headlines are a little sensationalist because you know this injury is gonna keep him out for the rest of the season. Well, the rest of the season is basically a month long, so you know, uh, you know, saying he's gonna be out for three to four weeks. And saying he's going to be out for oh, the rest of the season. Same thing really in effect at this point of the year. It will have an impact, though, on the Mets calling him up. If you were in favor of that for you know a September call-up. Regardless of whether or not he needs surgery on, on whatever the issue is, obviously there's a 0% chance that he gets called up to the Mets now. One thing, though, that it might affect is whether or not the Mets sends him to the AFL, the Arizona Fall League, If they were thinking about sending him to the Arizona Fall League, depending on the severity of the injury and whether or not he's going to need surgery on it, um, you know, that's going to dictate whether or not he goes or not. Would you send him, assuming that it doesn't need surgery and he just needs to, you know, not crouch behind the home plate for a couple of weeks? Would you send him to the AFL?
2: Probably now, yeah. I I wouldn't if he was healthy when the season ended
3: because I feel like he's above that
2: now. But if he misses a month or so, and he's healthy by that time, then I see no real reason to not give him some reps. It's kind of meaningless reps, because he's way better than the competition there. But it gets him back on the field and back in the batter's box a little bit before spring training. It kind of resets his clock a little bit.
5: Yeah, I don't see any harm in sending him and, um,
2: you know, just letting him hit. Yeah, I wouldn't let him catch anything, so... If he's
5: capable of doing it, why not?
3: Yep. Agreed. Agreed. All right. The Binghamton Rumble Ponies now. They played the Reading Fighting Phils. They went 4-1 uh, with the last game of the series in progress, as we're recording right now. And they're winning 5-4, to four for whatever that counts. Um, you know, Mets bullpens, though, are historically not great. So we'll <laughs> see. But um, they, you know, with this four in one week, they boosted their record to 19 and 30 in the second half, and they are 10 games back. And it's crazy to think about how bad this team has been when they started the season with so much excitement. They had Francisco Alvarez, Brett Beatty, and Ronnie Mauricio rostered there, and a bunch of lesser held prospects like Jake Mangum, Hayden Sanger, Jose Budo, Brian McWire. Uh, Carlos Cortez, you know, uh, that team has basically been irrelevant since June. Yeah, they've been uh, out for a long time. And especially so in the last month when, you know, Alvarez got promoted, Beatty got promoted, um, you know, Jose Budo, I guess, you know, in the last two weeks or so, whenever it was, got promoted. Poor Binghamton.
2: Yeah, it's just... They're in the they're in the very middle of the system and there's just nothing really there. Um at the moment. The, all the exciting guys either when they were there it was just Beatty and Alvarez really, and they got promoted. And on the other side it was everyone else exciting is so younger than them. Like Mauricio's there, but he's kinda taking a step back, so there's not much to get excited about in Binghamton.
3: Yeah, all the guys that are exciting are in the lower levels and one of those teams had a really good week, and that was the Brooklyn Cyclones. And they played the Jersey Shore Blue Claws, and they swept the series. They went a perfect 6-0. and And on Sunday, they had about as dominant a win as you can in baseball. They beat Jersey Shore 18-1. It's too bad that <laughs> that they allowed that one run. It would have been better. 18 nothing shout out. Um, I've went to a lot of Cyclone Blue Claws games this year. And there was a, a lot of Cyclones wins, and so I was just like, I wonder how many games they actually won. And they went 17-4 and four against uh, the, the Blue Claws, so that will play. It just basically shows that, you know, New York is better than New
4: Jersey.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, <via him> and <laughs> I, I
5: disagree wholeheartedly.
4: <laughs> mm. i
3: wholeheartedly. just fighting words. I don't know if you say so. But with this big week, uh, Brooklyn is now a half game behind the Hudson Valley Renegades, so playoff uh, playoff hopes are are alive. And who would have thought, given how bad you know the Cyclones were in the first half? But a lot of you know uh, in the second half, a lot of guys got promoted. That like like yeah. Thomas was just saying, a lot of those guys that are talented and are the future were starting off in St. Lucie and got promoted. Now they're in Brooklyn and they're doing their thing. And then, like, obviously, guys will trail off, and some guys will pop and be better than they were.
2: But that's how Binghamton gets better, and that's how Syracuse get better, is they just kind of work their way through the system. Like, it it cycles. It runs in cycles. Sometimes your teams are going to be bad, and sometimes your teams are going to be really good. And uh, The goal is that eventually you're like, your teams are good all over the organization, but that takes time, and the Mets aren't there yet.
3: Getting there. Getting there. For sure. Uh, St. Lucie, you know, as as good as Brooklyn was this week, St. So St. Lucie was kind of the opposite. They had a lousy week. They played the Palm Beach Cardinals in a battle for first place, and they went one and five, with Sunday's game uh, being canceled because of rain. So they came into the series 26 and 21, tied for first place, and they're now ending at 27 and 26, three games back. They won the first half though, so they're guaranteed a playoff berth. So it doesn't really matter. But, you know, as people that have to watch these games and recap these games every day, we definitely prefer the teams to win as much as possible. Makes things (laughs) a bit more palatable, yeah. And finally, the FCL Mets. We don't talk about them too much in detail, but they finished their regular season 33-22 and on the year. And they, um, they had a playoff berth, so they played the FCL Rays in the Florida Complex League semifinals, but they lost 7-4, so that knocked them out of the playoffs. Javier Atencio, he started, he was solid for two innings, he was followed by Robert Colina, he was also solid for uh, three more. The Mets, meanwhile, they they did manage to take the lead, Vincent Perrozo, he had a pair of RBI, and the Mets were up 2-0. And then in the seventh inning, Brian Gersky and Luis Rodriguez, they gave up four runs combined. And that gave the Rays the lead. The Mets did tie things up at four and four in the top of the eighth inning. But then in the bottom of the eighth, Christopher Vasquez he gave up three more runs, and that was all she wrote. So the starting pitcher showed up, the offense showed up, but the both hadn't let everybody down. Again, sounds very Metsian. <laughs> all right, so um that was that was the Mets minor league system in a nutshell here so before we get to everything else um you know obviously the Mets had old old timers day this weekend the first time in like 30 years whatever it was you know obviously the first time basic all of our lifetimes that we could remember what did you guys think of everything I mean I thought it was like at first I was like okay yeah cool whatever but then actually like watching the introductions and then watching them play that was super fun
2: yes I I was texting our uh, friend of the pod, Rich Staff, about all of this. But um, basically, I didn't care much about the old-timers day when it was announced. I was like, yeah, whatever, okay. The Mets don't have a lot to celebrate, really, and it's going to be just a few teams and a few guys. But I think I thought that because that's how the Wilpons told me to think about the Mets for 20 years, 28 years of my life, you know? Like, <laughs> the, the Wilpons clearly didn't give a shit, so... If the team doesn't give a shit, why should me, a fan, give a shit about it? And then I watched like all these old time, like literal old timers, like 1962 Mets and guys from the 60s pitch and play and like be <laughs> celebrated, and it was really cool. So it was cooler than I expected it to be, and I blame the whoopons for thinking, for me thinking about that for <laughs> uh, most of my life.
3: But definitely, when and doubt, blame the whoopons. Exactly. Ken, were you able to catch it.
5: I, I didn't get to watch much of it, but um <clears throat> the little bit that I did get to see, honestly, I feel like it just made a lot of people
2: happy. So yeah, like those guys playing, like that's mm-hmm. awesome. like that's awesome for a lot of those guys. Like sure piazza gets celebrated and the big names too. but there was a lot of dudes who don't get celebrated and deserve yep. to for various reasons, and that's really cool.
3: Yep, yep. That that I think was my favorite thing. Like one of during one of the interviews with Gary Apple and Jim Duquette before the actual Mets game started, I think they were sitting down with Jay Payton and they were saying that like it's it's so fun to see guys that don't get a lot of public appearances that kind of slip through the cracks because you know like like you were saying we we always see you know certain teams we see the 1986 guys all the time we see a lot of you know guys that have been employed with the Mets as coaches or like SNY analysts but how often do we get to see Benny Agbayani you know how oh, often do we how often we get to Met see legend Todd Hundley I mean so, Ray Knight
2: was like I haven't been invited around to anything yeah. in 30 years or whatever and he's a literal he's one of the two World Series MVPs that the Mets have of course mm-hmm. he wasn't he wasn't a Met forever he was a Met for a very short time but if you think about the '86 team. Ray Knight is one of the guys who comes to your mind because he was huge, and he, they, he, they won the World Series in large part because of
3: him. I mean, literally one of the one of the most famous quotes is is, is involves Ray Knight. You know, but I mean, where else are you gonna see like eighty year olds throwing fucking strikes? Jay freaking Hook, man. Yeah, exactly. All that shit. When's the <laughs> last time like Jay Hook? At, at,
2: I think this was. I'm paraphrasing Rich here, it's almost the same, it's almost an exact quote, but he was like, when's the last time anyone asked these guys about their playing career? And they were Major League players, mm-hmm. and now they're on city Field's mounds throwing strikes and getting cheered. That's awesome. Like, that's going to be one of the things that they talk about for the rest of their lives. They're going to tell people about how cool that was, and that's mm-hmm. that stuff's important, too.
3: Mm-hmm. And it, it was, you know, nice to see Bartolo. I mean, he's still in pitching shape. Shit, he looks better in better shape now than he did <laughs> in 2015. It was nice to see Pedro. Like, it was just, it was such a, it was so fun. But, you know, in honor of Old Timer's Day, I thought we should do something similar. Uh, a monoleague Old Timer's Day, basically. We used to do, you know, we used to end the shows with, oh yeah, that guy where we went back into the past box scores and we found the guy who had a great week during the whatever period of time, you know, it was that we were discussing. But to be honest, that was a lot of work. And, and you know, after th- almost three years and like 200 episodes now, we it, it started getting hard to find the guys who we didn't already, you know, cover and, you know, we're having the second best week. We're having the third best week, whatever. But basically, we are going to have a minor league old timers day here with the same general concept. You know, we're going to celebrate some old names who never really made it and they've kind of been forgotten about as, as we've all moved on. But for whatever reason, they still stick in our memories. Could be good reasons, could be bad reasons, could be dumb reasons, whatever. But all that matters is that they are Mets minor leaguers and they haven't been forgotten. So we are going to make up teams of 10. Um, a catcher, a first baseman, a middle infielder. Since you know in the minor leagues, a lot of shortstops play second, a lot of second basemen play shortstop. It really just depends on the on the composition of the team. Uh, a third baseman, two outfielders, and four pitchers. So that's a total of of ten players. So, uh, I mean, I guess we'll just go position by position here. I don't know what's easier to do. Just everyone goes all at once or just we kind of cycle through position what do you guys think what do you guys want to do we could do position by position alright that works then
1: hey guys it is Ryan I'm not sure if you know this about me but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can I like to work but I like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun Chumba Casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere
0: 18 plus.
3: All right, so our first um, Mets minor league old timer will be catcher. So, who would like to? Does anyone want to volunteer?
2: Um, I have a fun one because he
3: wasn't
2: he wasn't always a catcher. He caught for. They tried to make him a catcher. We I, I mentioned him in the Slack group before but remember when they tried to make Jay jabs a catcher for like a week and it didn't really work. (laughs) So I always wanted teams. I I was, he is a special place in my heart because I always want teams when the guy is like a good athlete and a good fielder or something like that, but can't hit, see if they could catch because why not? Because catchers can't hit anyway. So if they somehow have like an innate ability back there that they never tapped into, just try it. You know what I mean? Like, Let's say in an alternate reality, he ended up being a really good catcher. Imagine having like a speedy backup catcher who could play the infield and the outfield and also catch like that saves a bunch of roster spots and it makes you really unique. And I think stuff stuff like that is I always want teams to try that and they never do. And the Mets did that with him for a little bit. I don't think it I think it was like a few games and it didn't really work. But still like that types of type of thing sticks in my head. So that's what I'm choosing for catcher.
3: Plus, his name is Jay Jabs. Exactly. Not to gloss over the lead or anything like that.
2: And he was like a full-on Columbia legend. Like
4: I yes, feel like, was. like
2: he was there for like two years and was a fan favorite, and <laughs> like he ruled. Like I, I, he was one of those minorly guys who you kind of root for. Like we root for all of them, but everyone has your guys, and he was always one that was like, I hope he makes it. Mhm.
3: I want to say that he was from like southern Pennsylvania or something like that. Like I, I think I know he was he's from, from Pennsylvania. close by. I don't,
2: I don't know yeah. where in Pennsylvania, like I don't know where Schuken or whatever Pennsylvania is, but that's <laughs> yeah, <where Shweckensville.
3: laughs> But yeah, there were there were a lot of times when he would have like entire sections that were just like the J jab section.
2: It's that rules. Like I love that shit. And mm-hmm. All
3: right, Ken, who is your catcher?
5: Uh, I'm just gonna go with Ali Sanchez. Um, uh,
3: good old Ali Sanchez.
5: I had real high hopes for him. Didn't really pan out. But um,
2: you know, caught in the big leagues and I believe is still in affiliated ball. He was in the Cardinals organization last
3: night. Yeah. I was expecting the yeah. Cardinals to do some Cardinal shit and turn him oh, into. Oh,
2: yeah. You know. Yeah. Yachty, too. <laughs>
3: yep. No. Thankfully that didn't happen. <laughs> Yeah, I liked Ali Sanchez. If if only his head tool was a little bit better. But literally, you can say that about every single player that we're going to talk about here. So hell of a catcher, though. Yes, yes. My guys, like, the, I don't want to say the exact opposite, but Andres Renault, who was a catcher from 2016 to 2019, and honestly, the only reason why I, I, I care about him at all is because um i guess the people that be at the tops corporation they said hey we should give this guy a baseball card because he had decent numbers at kingsport in 2019 and out of the blue i got an unsolicited email from a tops editor saying they wanted to use a photo that i took so
4: right, thanks well. to
3: thanks to andres and old i legit have a baseball card which is so fucking awesome so thank you andres and old for the good memories Friend of the podcast, <laughs> and then to make things—I don't know if it makes things better or worse—but then I found out that his agent. This this part was really like fucked up. Really, his agent was using the same photo, and they never even asked me. And I sent them an angry worded email, and I was like, "Oh shit! Like, this might like get nasty." That's crazy. Yeah, but then he got released, and that was the end of that. So. <laughs> But you would think an actual, like, professional agent wouldn't be using yeah, unlicensed photos of people. All right. Um, Moving on to first base now. Thomas, who's your first baseman? Dash Winningham. Hell yeah. We love now Dash. That's, now
2: that's a dude. <laughs> he, I just saw him a lot in Brooklyn. I remember him. Uh, <laughs> really, is really what it is. He's one of those guys who's always, like, in the middle of their lineups and... He was like your classic big bopper guy who you knew were, wasn't going to make it, but you wanted him to anyway type guy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he just ruled.
3: So, so far, you're coming out strong with the best team name with Jay Jabs and Dash Winningham. Ken, who's your first baseman?
5: I'm going to go with uh, Joe Ganord.
2: Um ah, classic. That, that's like the, the the Dash Winningham spiritual successor. <laughs> yeah, he was.
4: <laughs> he
5: was like God at Brooklyn and like had just enough bat speed um for like uh the, the pen league. And then things went poorly immediately after
3: there. <laughs> he came in with a bang and he left with a whimper.
5: Always reminded me of like Pete Alonso before he fixed his swing.
3: <laughs> he, he's what, what's the
5: how does the meme go? Uh, like they were like entirely different <laughs> players. Right. Pete Alonso. You
3: know. How does the meme go? Like we Pete have Alonso. whatever at home.
4: Joe <laughs> <laughs> Noid is. Joe yeah, is at home.
3: Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My first baseman is Matt Olberstey. Who played from 2013 to 2018? He wasn't really good. He wasn't really bad. He just kind of was eh. But it feels like every game I went to for years, Matt Oberste was there. Went to see Brooklyn? There's Matt Oberste. Went to see Binghamton? There's Matt Oberste. So I'm pretty sure that he has like my record for the guy that I've seen the most and completely unintentional. All right. Next up is the infielder.
2: Thomas this Luther. is like it's shortstop, second base, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I got a good one. Reese Havens. Reese Havens. I, now that was the dude who you thought was gonna be good because he had like, I think it was in a in um 2010 he hit 312, 386, 592 across two different leagues, like across high A and double A, and you're like, oh yeah, like this is this is the money ticket. And nope. <laughs>
3: but yeah, I mean, he was supposed to be good.
2: That's one of those things. Like Those guys are always interesting to me because something happens along the way. Either they don't develop the way you think or there's a hole in the swing that you don't see or that gets exposed or something. I can't remember what it is specifically about Reese Havens, but I remember him being a prospect that I was looking at and reading at when I was young because obviously in 2010 I was a kid, not a kid, but I was younger and I wasn't really hyper-focused on the minor leagues, but even I knew who that was because he was a bigger na- name.
3: Reese Havens, I remember had rib. He had the rib surgery, but I don't know the timeline of that. I don't remember how much, you know, it affected him. But he was supposed to be a guy, and unfortunately, he did not become a guy. Ken, who's your infielder?
5: Uh, T.J. Rivera.
3: Ah, good old T.J. He's he's in the the mold of the Josh Satins and the and the uh. Eric Campbell's and the a long line of, of mediocre greats. Rivera had a legit bat to ball
2: ability too. Yeah.
5: Yeah, if he didn't sacrifice his uh, ligament to the the Mets' third base job, in, <laughs> what was it like twenty
2: seventeen? Something like yeah, because he was part of the twenty sixteen. He uh, might still playoff. be playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was part of the twenty sixteen playoff run. He was important, like unironically so.
3: I went with Luis Santana, who played from twenty sixteen to twenty eighteen. And then um I remember going down to Kingsport and seeing him for the first time and being like, Holy crap, like I know this guy's only five foot six, supposedly, but I think that's being like generous because his his stance he crouched and he was maybe like three inches taller than the catcher who was you know, in an actual crouch. So he was tiny. And as a short guy, I can I can appreciate a fellow <laughs> short guy hitting three forty eight and having a nine seventeen OPS, you know. So good and after he got traded, you know, everyone kind of wrote him off and being like, see the Mets traded, you know, Detroitus and got back J D. Davis, who was having a good season in twenty nineteen. But Luis Santana, you know, he was injured a couple of years, but he's actually having a pretty good season this year. He might be like back on the map, which, you know, good for him. Dope. All right. Um third baseman now. Oh, I have a good one. I have another good one.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Um so this guy played a long time in the minors. He played he played eight hundred and eighty one games in the minors and in the independ- Indies, But um Joe Giannetti is who I'm picking, and he mm. was he was a big member of the 2001 Cyclones, and I had season tickets to those teams. We, me and my family used to be season Cyclone season ticket holders. He hit in 2001 for the Cyclones, hit 348, 420, 487. Damn. And he, yes, he was real damn good at 19 in that league. And I was like, oh shit, that's a player. And he just was ended up being like an indie ball guy who flamed out at double at he hit double a as it as his highest level and never made a pass there but he was a real good he he was one of those guys who's like just good in and out to watch as a six-year-old watching base, baseball in the minor leagues like i have no idea who's good or not so
3: it's impressive that he hit that well i mean guys traditionally suck <laughs> in in brooklyn with with the bats so The guys that hit that well are far and few in between.
2: I wonder if anything happens, like
3: if he got hurt or something, but. Uh, Definitely precedes me, so I don't don't really know. I was six, so. (laughs) Ken, who you got?
5: I'm so sorry. I cut out for a bit. What position are we on? Third Third base. base. Third base. Oh, Jace Boyd. This is kind of cheating, but Jace Boyd. Fair, um, fair Uh binghamton classic um, famously hit the walk off um, double or the the game winning double
4: mm-hmm.
5: in the championship game uh, reportedly great dude uh, great name
3: <laughs> I was always a fan of Jace Boyd. I think, like, one of the first years when we did the prospect rankings, I, I had him in my top 25, and I look back now and I say, what the fuck was I thinking? Like, <laughs> I clearly did not know. Like, I, he hit, like, 300 or whatever. This is like, I clearly did not really know anything back then. I still don't know anything, but I knew even less than anything back then. Well, it could have been possibly maybe, if not
5: for – uh I think he was one of the early uh, thoracic outlet syndrome
4: surgeries,
3: yep. I think. Yep, yep. Like really early. Well, my third baseman did not need thoracic outlet surgery to suck. And my third baseman is Carl Stadjuhar, who played one season, 2017, with the Cyclones. He was drafted in June 2017. He was released in September 17. Honestly, I think he might have been the worst player I ever saw, which is why he will always be remembered by me. He couldn't hit. New York Penn League hitting, pitching, excuse me. He's a horrible defender. He had no speed. He was possibly a zero tool player. <laughs> but, you know, guys like that, you know, you'll never forget. And hopefully we don't get sued now. Hopefully Carl Stadjohar is not listening. All right, we will move on now. We have two outfielders. Um We'll just do, you know, we'll just keep keep on cycling the way we're going now so Thomas who's your first outfielder
2: uh Cesar Puello is my first
3: outfielder hell yeah I picked Cesar Puello too yes
2: because that year that he was evidently on steroids I was (laughs) (laughs) he went nuclear and I remember it being so fun every like game in and game out how good he was obviously he was aided by something but it was still very fun and it was still that would that that's still a minor league memory because I think I was probably recapping even at the time like I just started doing all that stuff for the minor leagues, so like day in and day out I'm like oh wow like this dude could hit and obviously things were happening and he made it to the majors anyway for cups yeah. of coffee and stuff it's not like he was a, a pure product of it it was helping obviously but he was still he's a very fun name I think about him quite a bit.
3: Mm-hmm. I remember I guess it was like twenty. 13 or 14 I guess is the year that you had the big year and I remember really sitting down and being like who is the who am I gonna rate first him Wilmer Flores yeah right like that was a thing like you had to he was that much
2: of a prospect really after a season at least in the organization probably not nationwide but um organizationally he was a name he was someone to pay attention to Mm. and it fell apart after the roids but
3: and this was also a period in time when the Mets' money system was, I mean, see, uh, system was like at its peak. I mean, yeah, it had, was good. Like you still had, I think, Darno in the system. You still had Syndergaard, Mats Wheeler, and Harvey. Probably already were graduated, but
2: yeah, probably around that time because they were part of the rotation. I yeah, think yeah. in twenty fourteen already, and twenty obviously twenty fifteen. Yeah, were, okay. Wheeler was hurt, and Harvey was around. So,
3: but yeah, that was it. Was a, a good. Minor league system, and he was like in our top five one of those years. So. He was
2: making waves because he deserved it with his play. And
3: yeah, I mean, legit five tools. I mean, I guess not legit because you know, <laughs> very <laughs> illegitimate five tool star. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Ken, who is your first outfielder?
5: Uh, Desmond Lindsay. Ah,
4: uh, um, the tale of Desmond. He would have been seen good. him in
5: I'd Brooklyn when he was like first assigned. Um, and just thinking he was like better than everybody else on the field. He uh, was. And then, you know, obviously injury after injury after injury, he didn't become, you know, anything. But uh, that was one of the first drafts I really followed like really closely. Um. So, yeah, I'll always have a fondness for, for uh, Desmond Lindsay.
2: I really liked that pick because they didn't have a first that year. And I mm-hmm. was. Yeah, that was, uh, I felt like that was a really high upside way to – that was Kadiar, right? Yeah. Uh, I feel like that was a really high upside way to replace that because Lindsey was a high school kid and pretty advanced with all this stuff, but his hamstrings were made of <laughs> peppermint patties, I guess, or whatever. <laughs> like, that dude just could not stay on the field. It was crazy. But –
3: I think he hit, like, well over 300 in his year with the Cyclones. Like yeah, he was really
2: a, good. He was really um, good for them.
3: Another guy that, like, when, when a guy hits really well in Brooklyn, you take notice just because it's so infrequent.
2: Yep. I agree with that for sure.
3: Uh, I will go with my remaining outfielder here then, Wilmer Becerra, who was with the Mets from 2013 to 2018. <clears throat> and he was the wild card that was thrown in in the Dickey trade. And, you know, Travis Darnot worked out very well, and, and you Noah know, Syndergaard was working out very well. And at first, Becerra, you know, he he was working out really well. And, you know, I was not in favor of trading Dickey, but, you know, I, I couldn't change anything. So the fact that they would have been getting three prospects that would have really, you know, that, that were panning out, that would have been like, okay, at least they meant to getting maximum value here. Unfortunately, though, Becerra, he stole in St. Lucie. He had some... um Shoulder problems, and he had an inefficient swing plane, which is something that we were just starting to kind of, like, understand in the in the early to mid-2010s. He got he hit in was, the face, too, right? With a pitch, he broke his jaw. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that was when he first came to the Mets. Or yeah, right it was before. literally...
2: He's, he was a Met for, like, a month, and he... Like, <laughs> it was very early in the season or some shit like that. I remember that specifically.
3: But, yeah, he... It was fun while he lasted, but he was a guy that, you know, did flash 5 tool potential, and it just just didn't work out. All right. um, Thomas, who's your second outfielder?
2: My second outfielder is Patrick Biondi, who—
3: Oh, nice. I was going to pick him.
2: He's one of those guys who I feel like—like a Jake Mangum later on and just guys like that, where I don't know if you— do this when you recap, but I always notice the same guys when they when they play. <laughs> it's for some reason Patrick Biondi's name would like be seared into my brain every week. Mm-hmm. I, I would know that he's gonna play. I know that he's gonna hit anywhere in the lineup and go one for four with a walk. You know what I mean? Like it was never an exciting day. He was probably star of the of, of the day once or twice. He probably hit multiple home runs or whatever. He did his thing. But there was he was never super high upside and you know he wasn't gonna be wasn't gonna make it, but he's just a name that you see every week because he was never hurt, he was never out of the lineup, so those guys always hold a special place in my heart too.
3: Patrick Biondi and Champ Stewart always had the possibility to yeah. be the most exciting outfield, but
2: Champ Stewart is another one. Oh.
3: they just you know, I mean they they were they were guys that had one really good tool that gave them, you know, some versatility with the speed. And Champ Stewart also had a little bit of power too. But you know, they just they weren't complete packages, unfortunately. But they were fun. <clears throat> All right, Ken, who is your other outfielder?
5: Uh, the aforementioned Champ Stewart. Oh, um, nice. <laughs> Champ Stewart, a uh, very fun player, like you just said. Uh, I I once bumped into him at. Dillinger's after a BMX game. (laughs) Um, uh, Literally. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I'll always be fond of of Champ Stewart. What are we doing now?
3: I don't know. That's a good question. I could see him like running a hedge fund or something. Some sort of white-collar work. I don't know why. All right, um, so my other outfielder was Cesar Bueyo who we talked about. So now we'll move on to the pitchers. There's a shit ton of pitchers, so I don't think we'll have any overlap here. All right, Thomas, your first pitcher.
2: My first pitcher is, let me pull it up because I accidentally closed everything, is Rainy Lara. Oh, Rainy Lara. He's another guy who I always feel like I saw messing around, and then he went to the Indies and had like a few years there and went to mexico and stuff like that but i mean he he pitched seven season in the minor seven seasons in the minor leagues that's a long time and he was a good brooklyn cyclone which is why i would have seen him he had he had a 291 era and 12 starts there um which is less impressive as a uh, pitcher <laughs> than a when a pitcher is good in in brooklyn i'm like you damn well better be but um <laughs> he's just one of those guys who for some reason that's a name i always remember
3: yeah, I mean he was part of the the greatest yeah, rotation of all time, so. And that rotation was incredible.
4: Mhm.
3: Let's see. It was Rainy Lara, Ansel Robles, Louis Mateo, uh Huh, who else was there? Gabriel Enoa. I Think there was a fifth guy. Oh, I'm forgetting. Yeah, I'm sure it'll come to me. Ken, who is your first pitcher? Okay, Ken is giving us the silent treatment. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, while he's while he's being angry at us, I will go with my first pitcher, John Church, who is a reliever from yeah. 2009 to 2015. I feel like he was the Paul Seawalt before there was a Paul Seawalt, you know, a reliever that wasn't particularly great, but he was consistently solid. And you always felt, especially when he was in double A or in triple A, that he was going to be that next guy that got called up when they needed a, another arm for a double header or, you know, uh, one of the less lesser important bullpen guys got put on the DL. But he just he never got called up. My good old John Church. Ken, are you back? Oh, I guess not. Okay. No, I'm back. Oh, um, okay. You're you back. Can hear me now? Yes, yeah, yes. I've yes. been cutting
5: in and out this whole time. But um yeah, so uh my pitcher is going to be Mickey Janice. Um, oh um, <sighs> nice. The mayor of Binghamton, New Jersey, or Binghamton, New York. <laughs> um I don't know, he spent several, several years there. Yeah. And uh, just a great story. Knuckleballer, you know, grinded for so long and then eventually made it to uh, the big leagues for a fleeting Mm -hmm. period of time.
3: Just like the knuckleball, very fleeting. Poetic. Very poetic. All right. uh, Thomas, who's your second pitcher?
2: My second pitcher is Darren Gorksky, who... Mm-hmm. I always remember watching in, like, 2015, and uh, he, he was in Binghamton in 2014 and Vegas in 2015 and 16. And I just always remember he was, he was not good. But I always remember <laughs> him getting, while I was looking at the minor league box scores, just getting lit up whenever he would pitch. And it's just a name that lives in my brain. And honestly, he's a lot better than hell of a lot better than most of the pitchers in major league baseball, uh, in, uh, in professional baseball, just because you made a triple A. Most people can't do that.
4: Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm.
2: congratulations to you. You're better than me and everyone else listening to this, I'm sure. He made the
5: show. He threw three innings for the Orioles. Oh, I mean,
2: yeah. good for – honestly, good for him. I'm so happy. <laughs> you telling me that has low-key made my day. So
3: Good for Darren Gorski. All right, Ken, who is your pitcher? Next pitcher.
5: Uh, Marcus Molina.
3: Ah, uh, good old um, Marcus Molina. What could have been, yeah, for uh, real. But he was a
5: guy who was around for a while. Um, yeah, okay. bummer that his elbow gave out. Um, you know, appeared on many lists, and it's the guy who kind of stuck in my craw.
3: Yeah, I mean, he was—he was. I don't want to say he like burned with a bright light, but he was really good in his time there was it was definitely major league reliever uh potentially. yeah yeah definitely definitely and then when he got bad he got really bad yeah
2: yeah
3: my pitcher is juan urbina who was mm. uh in the system from 2010 to 2014 and i started following the mets hardcore around you know 2010 and started paying attention to the minors and there were two pitching prospects that John Sickles, you know, who was the SB Nation Mono League guy. was really hyping. Henry Mejia and Juan Urbina. And I liked Urbina better because he was a left-hander. And, you know, he also had um, Major League Bloodlines. And, you know, of course, that did not work out. And I still follow him on Twitter. And I feel like I really... There's there's no reason for me to. And I want to unfollow him. But I feel like he has no followers. So I feel bad and I don't want to unfollow him. But... Good old Juan Urbina. All right. Thomas, who's your next pitcher? Oh, my next pitcher is
2: the ace. I'm, I'm assuming the ace because I don't remember. Of the 2001 Brooklyn Cyclones, Ross Peoples.
3: Oh, Ross Peoples. He had a very good ERA. He had a
2: 1.34 ERA in 15 starts. 15 starts, 16 games in Brooklyn that year. Um, He really... His, his ERA's got... Quite interesting as his career went. He started, he was very good as a, as a young boy. In Kingsport, and in, in the Appy League, he had a 2.61, then a 1.34, like I said, in uh, Brooklyn. Then he had a, a 2.43 in Capital City, which, boy, mm. like, that's a long time ago.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And then he got promoted to St. Lucie, which was high A, and he went up to a 5.59, and that's going to tell the rest of his story, because... In Saint Lucie, after that, he had a 5.31 the next season. Then he got demoted back to Capital City, had a 6.35, and then got released. So, his his whatever he was doing to those kids in the in the in the rookie league and in at that point short season when he was with Brooklyn was sensational. And then it all fell apart when he got called up. But but I'll always remember he was he was the he was the best pitcher he, in in Brooklyn, and I saw him a, quite a few times. And I probably have his autograph somewhere because I have a bunch of. I used to go to games really early and get all these guys autographs, and I absolutely have Ross People's autograph somewhere on a baseball. So
3: <laughs> it sucks that during that period of time, like the early 2000s, minor league reporting was really non-existent. I, yeah. I wouldn't even say it was in its infancy yet; it was just non-existent. And there's really no way to like, on uh, you know, unless you actually have access to something like. The, the team's records or whatever to know like, okay, what the hell did Ross Peoples throw? You know, like what exactly was it that he was doing that made him so effective?
2: Yeah. It's like, we have no clue and we never will. Yeah.
3: <laughs> we need to, we need to track down Ross Peoples now and ask him, what did you do in Brooklyn that made you so good? Right, Ken, who's your uh,
5: next pitcher? Uh, Joe Caballero. Uh, right-handed pitcher, um, you know, junk bowling reliever. Yep, yep, yep. Um, I've always liked Cavallaro. Um I, I like like guys with funky arm slots, generally speaking. And mm-hmm. um, I watched a lot of the Columbia team that he was there because the that was one of the first years their camera was super advanced, or um, yep. like actually like a broadcast level camera um so yeah it's like uh Joe Cavalero a lot wish him
3: well (laughs) (laughs) we want to talk about funky deliveries my next guy Thomas I'm sure you remember him Jake Ruckle oh yes he was in the system 2005 to 2009 you know I saw him a bit in Brooklyn Definitely one of the weirdest deliveries I've ever seen. The ruckle shuffle. I don't even really know how to describe it. It's like Dantra Willis and Tim Lindsackum and Brad Ziegler had a baby. It was right? just real weird. Real weird stuff. Super, super extreme high leg kick and then a super long action in the back and super open. And then he dropped down and threw like almost sidearm. It was just a lot of weirdness. And like I was saying before about Ross Peoples, like I wish there was more video, because there's really no video of Jake Ruckel. There's like one promotional video that the Cyclones put out. But I wish there was just better video from the era, because I don't think that that description really does it justice what what he did to his body (laughs) to to pitch baseballs. If if the pain guy existed back then, he would definitely... um, see problems with jake ruffles jake ruckles delivery i i think is that guy still even a a thing anymore i really don't uh he is oh 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 well too bad uh all right uh thomas who is your last pitcher oh boy um let me go last (laughs) okay ken who is your last pitcher I guess he wants to go
4: last
3: because <laughs> <laughs> I closed all my tabs. That's why I back. got gotcha. My last pitcher is Julian or Julian Alario, who is a reliever in the system from 2010 to 2015. I hated this guy so much. It seems like every time his <laughs> name was in the recap, he was fucking something up. He was blowing a save. He's giving up runs. He's putting the team behind. Whatever it was. So you know, of course, the, the constant blown saves. And just the constant giving up runs, it just sticks in my brain. I will never forget Julian Hilario. And of course, you know the name sounds like hilarious. He was hilariously bad all the time, so it just fits. Oh, I got a good one. I got a good one. All right, go oh, ahead. Um, I'm I'm back. <laughs> oh, okay, you're back. Good.
2: <laughs> yeah. Twenty. Um, Chris Vial. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's a good one. Big fan of
5: Chris Vial. Uh, he just fell apart being a large human.
3: Yeah, that literally is what happened.
2: Mine is twenty seventeen Mets legend Tyler Pill.
3: Hell yeah. Tyler Pill.
2: He was in the system forever, it felt like. Um it was nine years in the minor Damn. league. He had a strong 4.23 ERA. So like it was never gonna be much of anything. But he made three different he made seven appearances on the on the uh twenty seventeen Mets. Three different starts, anyone? Oh, and three.
4: Really? So,
2: yeah. Um, I because that team was quite hurt, if I remember correctly, they just ran yeah. out of arms. Yeah, I was gonna say that was a really bad team, but geez. It, they just kind of ran out of arms <laughs> at some point, and I, I, I do remember his debut because I remember being like, "Oh, this is not gonna be good," and it wasn't. But still, you made the show more a lot more than most people could say. Um, shout out to PJ Conlin who is in the similar vein here. Guys like oh, that.
3: Yeah. Love um, PJ Conlin.
2: Yeah, he ruled. Friend of the show. Yes, for sure. But Tyler Pill spent a very long time in the minors and had varying success up and down the Mets system. And he was always a name that you see in the recaps because, like, mm-hmm. I, he's just—he's one of those organizational guys that you always see. And you miss them when they're gone, when they're not in the organization anymore. You really like. Damn, it was comforting to see Tyler Pill giving up three runs in six innings in a quality <laughs> start in a in a win. You know, like. It it's, it feels like home when you write that on a yeah. on a Thursday night. It feels better. Like home,
3: so. Better Tyler Pill have a four year a than some random weirdo you got, you don't even know. Like
2: oh, exactly.
5: <laughs> I also really like to see the team um like do well by a guy who was in their system forever.
2: Yeah, yep. to call him yep. up and give him a shot when it's very clear that um your season's not going anywhere it's cool okay, for Dave,
5: you've been there. here forever this will mean a
3: lot to you have at it yep, that, those are the type
2: of guys who should be playing
3: then completely agree well that was pretty fun <laughs> all right well if anyone has any questions comments whatever you could send us an email at our email address from complex at queens dot gmail.com you can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Slaipa. Lucas is at El Vlahos 343. Ken is at Ken 1191. Thomas is at said Met Season SZN. You can subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from, rate and review it. And, of course, we thank you for listening. And we will be back next week. So until then, love the Mets.
4: Love the Mets.